If you asked most people off the street today, and perhaps even some people in the pews every day on Sunday or during the week, what the point of Christianity actually is, I think that a lot of people would say something along these lines. The point of Christianity, and all religions for that matter, is to be a good person. To be a good person. Now, if that is your idea of what Christianity is, then I'm afraid to have to report that you're wrong. That would be the wrong idea of what Christianity is all about. And what's more, and I think that this is really the more deep and the more important thing to get into our bones, if that is your idea of Christianity, then you're missing out. You're missing out on the truth. Because the claim of Christianity is not that it just makes you a good person. Pagan, pre-Christian ethics and philosophy, the kind of stuff that Aristotle and Plato taught us so long ago, that can get you to be a pretty decently good person. You don't actually need Christianity to be a decent, good person. The Christian claim is much bigger. It's much better. The Gospel of Jesus Christ says that we can become, by God's free gift of grace, partakers in the divine nature, participants in divine life itself. The name that we give this shocking claim is divinization. Divinization. St. Athanasius once boiled it down to these brilliant and yet startling words. He said that God became man, that man may become God. Think about that. God became man so that man might become God. God became man so that we could receive from God what is his. In order to properly understand those words, we have to have a much bigger idea of Christianity than just being a good person, don't we? And yet that is what we boldly profess as we await the birth of Jesus this Advent. The Son of God took on the lowliness of human flesh. He came and he dwelt bodily in the Blessed Virgin Mary's womb. He took on a human nature so that we could take on the glory of his divinity. He took from what was ours so that he could give us totally what was his. That's what our gorgeous reading from the book of Baruch is getting at this morning. And it's very special that we would even hear from the book of Baruch. It's one of the deuterocanonical books, which means that you would not find it in our Protestant brothers and sisters' Bibles. The only other time that we ever even hear from the book of Baruch in the entire liturgical cycle, actually, is at the Easter Vigil. So this is a very special reading. And what the book of Baruch is getting at is just what we've been talking about. Divinization. 
The inspired author prophesies of a future time in which we will be able to, quote, take off our robes of mourning and misery and finally be able to put on the splendor of glory from God forever. That is a huge claim. And what Baruch is grasping at with words that ultimately and inevitably fall short of the reality they are describing is that participation in God's glory, God's life, becoming partakers of the divine nature. In the waters of baptism, our old life died, and the new life that we now live is not our own, but the life of Jesus, God made flesh, humanity united, wed with divinity. Now maybe some of this seems a little bit outlandish or outrageous to you. Maybe it even sounds a little bit blasphemous. God became man that man might become God. Only God is God, right, Father? Well, it all lies in that little word, participation. Because you're right, it's not our nature to be divine. We are only creatures. We're basically nothing. And yet, God wants to share what is his with his creatures. Maybe that sounds too good to be true. Maybe we feel like what our psalm cries out. It seemed like we were dreaming. But the refrain we just sang is more true than we could ever fully appreciate. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. We're filled with divine joy, divine life. The words of Baruch come back to mind. Up Jerusalem, stand upon the heights. Up Church of God, up Christians, stand upon the heights of so great and so deep a mystery. Don't fall back into that lame, uninspiring, therapeutic, boring gospel that settles for just being kind of a decently good person. That fails to propel us to the true heights that God wants to bring us to. Trust in the Lord who took on human flesh for you and for me both. Because, as St. Paul told us in our second reading today, he writes, I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work in you, the one who began that good work in the waters of baptism, in the waters of conversion, that one, God, he will continue to bring about that salvation, that good work, until it is complete on the day of Christ Jesus. God means to complete his work in you. And that work is nothing less than the splendor of the glory of God alive in you for the rest of eternity. That's what it means ultimately to be a saint, to have divine life, the life of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit filling you, pulsating within you, empowering you to live a life of virtue and truth and goodness and beauty forever. 
we are just little creatures, right? We can't live forever on our own steam. No, we have to have God's life in us, God's forever life, if we want to live forever. This is my prayer, Paul then writes, that your love may increase ever more and more and more and more. Because God is infinite, right? That your love may increase more and more to become infinite, even as God himself is infinite. That you will be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. Paul clearly is not praying for us that we would just become good people. He's praying that we might become holy as God himself is holy. He's praying that we might be divinized by the grace of God dwelling in us by the virtue of our baptism and our participation in the sacraments of the church that Christ founded. C.S. Lewis, with his usual knack for capturing really, really hard concepts with simple and clear words, once wrote that every single person that we ever meet is a potential god or goddess. Think about that the next time that you go to Panera, or when you are out doing your Christmas shopping, or filling up at the gas station. Remember it the next time, maybe, that someone cuts you off in traffic. There are no ordinary people, C.S. Lewis reminds us. We are actually surrounded by immortal beings. You're sitting next to immortal beings right now that one day we pray will become, quote, creatures which if you saw them, you would be strongly tempted to worship. That's the brilliance and the beauty of a saint, fully alive, divinized, with God's love and goodness pulsating within them, we would be tempted to worship them. Again, Lewis is describing divinization, the amazing truth that the divine life will be so clear in the saints that we might even mistake them for God if we saw them right now. If only that fact would sink in. If only we would really take that seriously how different we would begin to treat the people in our lives. If we could only see that every single person God has ever created was meant to be united perfectly with God. But of course, we are all works in progress still, and our story isn't finished. We're on the way, and we have a long way to go. But thank God Jesus is along the ride with us. And what that means in practice for us here and now is that we need to repent. We need to hear and then put into actual practice John the Baptist's desperate cry from our gospel today. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make room in your hearts for that vast, burning, loving, patient, holy, divine life to come and enter into your soul. Because right now, our hearts are too small. We have too much else in there. Too much filling up our hearts. Too many attachments. 
too much love for our own particular flavors of sin. Like the Holy Family on the first Christmas night, God's grace is coming and it's knocking on the door of our hearts only to find that there is no room in the inn. There's no room for Christ's divinity to come and dwell in us. And so we need to, with God's grace, set to work, making room in our hearts. We need to empty ourselves so that the divine life can come and dwell in us, not just our little, small, created, weak, broken life. We have to die to ourselves so that Jesus can live in us. St. John of the Cross uses a very helpful image to describe the process of preparing the way of the Lord, of making room for the Lord. He gives us the image of a glass window. The light of God is always shining on that glass window of our soul. At all times, no matter what, we can't stop the sun from shining, can we? But as it is, we happen to have quite a bit of dust and mud and cobwebs and all sorts of dirt caked on that window of our soul. And so the light, the pure and constant light of God's love and grace simply cannot get through. It can't shine. Our job, therefore, is to work with God's grace to have that window cleaned, cleared away, scraped away, so that in the end, it may be perfectly clean. That's part of what John the Baptist is getting at when he says, prepare the way of the Lord. Let every valley be filled. Every mountain and hill shall be made low, that the winding roads shall be made straight and the rough ways made smooth. Everything about us has to change. Everything has to get out of the way. Everything must go if God's life is going to be in us and have full access to every corner of our human lives. If that should happen to you, to your soul, what a beautiful sight it would be. What an overwhelmingly bright and glorious thing we would become. The clean, clear, perfectly purified, divinized glass window of our soul would be so filled with God's light that it becomes light itself. We would become invisible we would draw no attention to ourselves and God's glory would be proclaimed perfectly. So we need to repent. We need to turn away from the stuff clinging to us, the stuff that is preventing the light from shining through us. We have to renounce and reject sin. Have you ever tried praying like this? In the name of Jesus, I renounce laziness. In the precious name of Jesus, I renounce and reject pride, bitterness, jealousy, greed. In the name of Jesus, I renounce gossip. In the name of Jesus, I reject and renounce lustful thoughts and impure actions. In the name of Jesus, I renounce all of that stuff because I just want your divine life in me. He who has begun the good work in you will finish it if you let him, if you allow him to. 
And this is the last thing that I'll share with you this morning. If you want God to finish his work in you, you're in the right place. You are in the exactly right place for him to do that to you. Because you are in the liturgy right now. You are uniting yourself with the sacrifice of Jesus on the altar of God. And there, right there, is where our chaotic and disordered and broken world is made whole again. And more than made whole, brought to glory. That is where our disordered souls get reordered. Because we are pointing to him. That reading from Baruch said, Up Jerusalem, stand upon the heights, look to the east. The Catholic liturgy, for the longest time, pointed toward the east, with all people pointing in the same direction. Some people will describe it as if the priest was facing away from the people. Well, actually, he is facing God. He is looking to the Lord with the entire people behind him. And when we have our eyes fixed on God together, then we can look forward to the good work that God has begun in us coming to completion. And so receive the Eucharist today knowing that it is God's work in you, his good work in you. He means to fill you with his divine presence, with his divine life.